Um, do you remember anything you want to talk about? Do I remember anything? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> I can probably come up with something. Okay. I'll start off and then we'll see where it okay. goes. Okay. Welcome to The Geek and Review, the podcast focused on innovative and creative ideas in the legal industry. I'm Marlene Gabauer. And I'm Greg Lambert. All right, Marlene, let's uh, let's try to get through this without even mentioning coronavirus or COVID-19. You just did. <laughs> you just did. All right. Well, so much for that. So. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, for, before, but before we get into that, what we, what we should tell everybody is that uh, we also are on a work from home schedule. So disclaimers here, you may hear children in the background or pod dog or um, pop tops or, yeah. or whatever. <laughs> Refrigerators running. I, I did turn off the dishwasher. So good. That's uh, we're, good. we're good there. So, but I do have to say that our podcast from uh, last month, actually, our interview with April Campbell from the Association of Legal Administrators, that podcast has held up pretty well. Yes, actually, that's uh, that's. I think that topped the the most listened to. Did it not? Yes, it, it has. And if you yeah. haven't listened to it, uh, I really suggest that you do because I think there was a lot of stuff that we said in there that is coming to fruition. Yeah, and it, uh, it's it's the advice is all still very timely. Mm-hmm. On today's podcast, we have Charles Uniman, legal startup evangelist and founder of the Legal Tech Startup Focus which is an online community for people involved and interested in the legal tech startup industry. So before we talk to Charles, let's jump right into our information inspirations. So Marlene, I did want to stay away from the discussion of COVID-19, but impossible. I know it's pretty much impossible. So what I did was I wanted to tie in today's guest with an inspiration that I found with the help of our friend Patrick Fuller from ALM. So he pointed out an agile design application that was actually pushed out by PwC called the COVID-19 Navigator. Patrick said that this Navigator is a, quote, logic-driven application, meaning an, an expert system, that scales expertise while intaking information from current and potential clients, yielding recommendations and assessments. That's just some fancy talk for saying hey, they give you a survey, then they assess how well you're prepared for COVID-19 and related business issues, and then they learn from the information that you're putting in. A really interesting piece of, you know, or a way of iterating a piece of software directly to the customer or potential customer. You know, I, I doubt what PwC has put out is a perfect piece of software or even perfect in its analysis. But what they're doing is leveraging that expertise or their own expertise in a way that will answer a big issue facing a lot of businesses. And it's this, this sort of iteration that we expect to see in startups, which may or may not have the subject expertise that, say, a law firm has. But we really don't expect a law firm to do this sort of thing, although maybe they should. And luckily, I think uh, Charlie talks about this later in the episode. To me, this is PwC taking a calculated risk decision to attack a problem head on in order to allow its customers to make better decisions based on the results that they get from taking the survey. And I'm sure that the answers provided are probably pretty basic and probably having a disclaimer at the end that says, 
please call PwC's helpline to get a paid consultant on board. Right, of course, <laughs> of course. But at least they're doing something. And what can law firms do to attack the problem that our customers are facing? And even more importantly, will we actually do it? Yeah, that 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 is a very, very good question and kind of leads into to my inspiration. And this is not ripped from the headlines, but it's more of experience that is happening. So, you know, I imagine many of you out there have been swamped with dealing with with access issues, maybe training people on tools they've never used before, uh, looking for ways to collect necessary information and and train people on how to access that. Uh, talking to your users in terms of what they need right now in this critical time. So, uh, you know, just want to give you all a shout out and say good for you. I know that this is what I've been doing <laughs> over the past few days. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's, it's definitely a challenge. But, uh, you know, I have to say that uh, we're definitely all on board in terms of looking at how can we make this work for our immediate clientele and how can we make this work for our firm clients. So uh, just a shout out to everybody. Uh, Keep up the good work. Yeah. Can't agree more. All right. Well, that wraps up this week's information inspiration. So it only took our next guest about roughly four decades to realize that he had another calling besides the practice of law. Well, hey, what? Grandma Moses was like in her 90s before she started painting. So, you know, it's never too late to start. It's never too late. So Charlie Uniman is a former big law partner who is now a self-proclaimed legal tech startup evangelist. He is the co-founder of DealStage, a productivity and workflow tool for corporate lawyers. And most recently, he created a professional networking tool for legal startups called Legal Tech Startup Focus. He also produces a podcast under the same name. So let's hear what advice he has for lawyers, law firms, and legal tech startups to actually work together. We are happy to have Charlie Uniman, a successful New York attorney in big law for four decades, founder of the legal tech startup DealStage, and most recently founder of the legal tech startup Focus, a free, free Greg online community of nearly 1,000 members worldwide devoted to the success of legal startups. Welcome, Charlie. Well, thank you very much. Uh, Delighted to be a guest and talk to you both. Hey, Charlie, welcome. And, you know, I'm not really aware of another online community that's quite like the one you set up. So what prompted you to start this community? And really, what, what is it that you hope to accomplish? Well, I, um, when I was practicing uh, in uh, New York City for those almost four decades, I was a corporate lawyer and much of my practice was devoted to transactional work that oftentimes involved representing startups and, uh, and on the other side, investors. So I came to um, feel a lot of empathy for the process, the trials and tribulations that startup folks had to face. And I, together with that, had become a techie about a quarter of a century ago and fell in love with technology. So once I left the practice of law, it took me only four decades to figure out that I didn't want to be a lawyer. (laughs) Uh, I decided after deal stage, the startup that I uh, worked on with two other co-founders, Cratered, learned a lot from that. I decided that I would try to marry my interest in technology, having been at times a lone voice in the wilderness when practicing law and asking my partners to adopt tech and often uh, hearing them say no. 
you found uh, we, a sympathetic audience here. <laughs> right. Yeah, the, the, the byword then was we build by the hour. Remember, Charlie? Yeah. So with Legal Tech Startup Focus, I wanted to um, create a community where uh, startups in the legal tech area, together with their investors and their customers, could find a way to help one another, share ideas, best practices, uh, celebrate together, commiserate together when things don't go well. It uh, began about two and a half uh, years ago. And with that, we now have, as you mentioned, almost a thousand members. And fortunately, uh, not only membership uh, has picked up number, but also engagement. So people are sharing questions and, and answers and posting and helping one another. And that, that, was, that was the purpose from the outset. If I'm a member, can you give me an example of how I interact with the community and how that, how that actually helps me? Sure. Uh, well, the community uh, runs on a, uh, a white label social network, a private company that for a modest sum permits me to use uh, their software to create the community. And with that software in place, people, uh, when they register, are uh, able to post articles, short posts, ask questions. The uh, posts can be tagged with categories relevant to legal tech and startups. And what I've discovered is that people generally ask questions. How can I find a venture capital investor who's willing to invest in the United Arab Emirates, for example? Hmm. Or uh, I am a executive with years of experience working in uh, technology. I used to be a lawyer. I now want to get into legal tech. How do I do so? Others are asking, I've got a hiring question. You know, what should I do to solve, to answer that question and solve the problem that it poses? So it's, it's really a back and forth, principally through, through posts uh, that are on the network. And some people want to write articles, which they've done to uh, express their feelings, uh, thinking about legal tech. So it's, uh, it's a community. And, and right. like many other communities online, it's a matter of posting, participating and uh, getting a little back and forth going. So it's definitely a professional network yes. based on a social network. That's right. That's right. Okay. And, yeah. uh, and it's, as I like to tell people, it's not just startup founders and their colleagues, but investors, lawyers who purchase tech, law professors who are interested in uh, getting technology introduced to their students, a whole gamut right. of people. What is it that I would need to be in order to get into this network? Well, the network, is, as was uh, stated to the outset, is free. There is no credit card required. Right. Uh, I typically scour LinkedIn and and my, well, I've long exhausted my virtual Rolodex, but <laughs> I, uh, I, I look for people who express through Twitter and, and LinkedIn principally an interest in legal tech and, and, and connect with them and, and then uh, invite them to join. But then encourage them to ask anyone and everyone who might share their interest in legal tech to join as well. So there's no uh, vetting process. Anyone can join. Although if you have an interest in knitting, for example, I doubt if I doubt if it's going to be a very fruitful experience. But not that we have anything against people who knit. Uh, that's right. Don't write me about. In fact, my girlfriend is a great knitter, but. Uh, <laughs> So, th so that's how anyone and everyone can join. All they have to do is go to shameless plug, www.legaltechstartupfocus.com, and, and they can register and participate. 
And we'll put a link on the, the show notes for that. Wonderful. In addition to this, this social network, you're very active on Twitter and you also have a podcast. So is this part of the greater marketing strategy? Well, yeah. I, uh, the aim is to, is to uh, get the word out about Legal Tech Startup Focus and get more members to join, hopefully triggering a feedback loop where more people join and they discover there is more value to be had in becoming a member and others join. So, you know, network effects. So that that's the uh, non-commercial commercial goal behind that. But I I just have an interest in this intellectually. I'm one foot in the startup world when I was practicing, and worked on the late lamented deal stage, and one foot I should say in the legal world. So uh, I just get a kick out of it. Uh, the podcast I'm about to post my eleventh episode. I've been doing it for a few months, starting late last year. And in addition to being active on Twitter and, and LinkedIn, getting and, and there it's it's mostly a matter of just taking the posts that uh, I put and that others put up on the uh, community uh, and sending them over to LinkedIn and, and to Twitter. I also send out a newsletter every Monday up to my 73rd consecutive weekly newsletter that summarizes yep, I get that. yep yeah wonderful that that summarizes the the previous week's posts and every now and then we'll we'll add a little uh, fill up there in the mm-hmm. form of some, some additional information about a conference I might be attending so it's it's a it's selfishly self-interestedly I want to get word out about the network but I also want those vehicles LinkedIn Twitter and the podcast to convey information uh, as the, the name perhaps makes clear, the focus is on startups and the people who not only work at them, but feed into them with investments, comments, uh, uh, purchasing. So again, uh, if anyone has a hankering for learning about that particular uh, corner of the legal world and the legal tech world, you know, they're invited to join. Yeah. What's, what's the name of the podcast? <laughs> Very originally, it's called the Legal Tech Startup Focus Podcast. There we uh, go. As people have pointed keeping out, keeping it simple, keeping, yeah. it, keeping, simple. keeping it simple. Although I, I've tried to encourage people to say LTSF uh, after having been chided by members who said that's a mouthful, Charlie. Legal yeah. Tech Startup Focus, <laughs> and I simply come back and say I may have been a lawyer and a failed startup founder and now a community host, but I was never a marketer. I just didn't come up with a better name, a catchier name. As a, a fellow podcaster, uh, I, I know Greg and I always talk about how after we have guests on, you know, we're always inspired. We always learn something new mm-hmm. from from everybody. So for the LTSF podcast. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> what have you learned? You know, what are some of the takeaways that, that you've learned from your guests? Well, I have uh, been uh, encouraged to find that although it hasn't happened with as much latitude and, and, and depth as I would like, that there are law schools who are finally uh, really taking uh, seriously a couple things. First, not just training their lawyers to be in doctrine, which was mostly what I did when I was in law school four decades and more ago, <laughs> uh, but also making them much more practice aware uh, and more particularly practice aware in terms of the technology aspects that are near and dear to my heart and the near and the hearts of the community members. So, so I've been uh, encouraged uh, by that. I've learned that those programs are, are spreading. I've learned that uh, 
legal tech startups are often welcome at at these programs to demonstrate their wares and get feedback. So that that's uh, that's one thing that has uh, encouraged uh, me and taught me uh, something that I didn't expect to be able to learn. Uh, I've also uh, learned that uh, through the community uh, itself, but also in talking to various podcast guests, that the legal tech world extends way beyond the borders of the United States and, mm-hmm. and North America. And there are active communities in, in Latin America, of course, in Europe, uh, in the Middle East, in Australia, uh, certainly. So that is uh, something that, that also uh, was a lesson to me when I started the network and, and have started uh, talking in, in earnest to, to podcast guests. And, and finally, I guess I've learned that it, it really, and this is a confirmation, really, it really is a, a tough uh, uphill battle uh, to uh, deal with the sales cycles in, in law firms. Uh, and <laughs> the, the very long sales cycles. The very long sales <laughs> and, Yeah, and that's, that's really a, a symptom of, of any enterprise level uh, sales and marketing uh, effort. But it's particularly uh, difficult in law. Although I think things are changing, we may have hiccuped a little with a downturn at the beginning of the year. But I, um, I was of the view when I started this project, engaging with the legal tech community, that uh, venture capitalist institutional money was really not too sanguine about investing in legal tech. And I now believe that uh, there is an impetus to invest despite some of the uh, stumbles like atriums uh, cratering uh, mm. recently um, and, and there been being a bit of a fall off recently. But I, I want to do what I can to encourage that. I mean, it, it, the numbers have to speak for themselves and yeah. uh, institutional investors have to know that they're going to have a market size with their target investments and returns big enough to justify things. But I want to make them aware of legal tech and there are candidates out there that are good targets for investment and hopefully brighten the discussions I've had a bit with some of the podcast guests about getting funding for their uh, for their ventures. Now, when it comes to the, the legal startup community or just the startup community as, as a whole, that's uh, that's a different mindset than we normally see within the within the, the legal industry. Are you finding that uh, your startup community is is having a communication issue uh, between themselves and their ideas and the legal organizations that they're they're, they're trying to woo uh, into their products? Well, I I see an improvement over what I faced seven years ago, along with my co-founders at DealStage, uh, where when we sat down, uh, my, one, one of my co-founders along with yours truly was a lawyer in so-called big law, and the mm-hmm. third co-founder was a, a software engineer. And we two former lawyers uh, sitting down with big law law firms as a raw startup uh, often discovered that one of the biggest obstacles uh, was just the fact that we were a startup. Mm. And they looked at us as if we had two heads coming to take their time. Yeah, yeah uh, big, law, big law doesn't want to be first in anything, but they don't want to be last either. Right. So. right. <laughs> but I, I, solidly in the middle. <laughs> solidly in the middle, yeah. In the middle is the safest way. But I, uh, I think things are improving. Uh, my reservation in saying that is – is it just a matter of people in law firms, big and small, learning the talk, the talk, but not walk the walk? Or is it really people being able to walk the walk? And I, 
I, I see, I think, more than lip service being paid to the idea of innovating in law school and law firms. Mm -hmm. There are hires now that uh, direct themselves to innovation. Innovation is sort of a mushy word. It covers mm -hmm. a multitude of sins or really means some very good things. Um, we're not where I want to see it yet. I think that really what needs to happen, and I can't snap my fingers and make this happen, but there are efforts uh, undertaken by uh, some, some in-house legal departments. I think the, the pressure to uh, have private law firms innovate has to come yeah. from the clients. And, uh, well, I, yeah, and I was just wondering on it, speaking of that, is it um, with these innovative projects? So a, a few weeks ago, uh, we had someone from, from Brian Cave talk about their spin-off. I mean, they basically have created a startup within the, the law firm. Mm -hmm. Are processes like that where you can point other law firms saying, look, if you're having a problem with startups, your competitors are themselves becoming startups and get over that. You're not, you're not going to be the first one to enter uh, this area. Are you, are you finding that's making the conversation easier or, or more difficult? No, it's interesting you, uh, you bring that up because uh, I get to participate in a monthly breakfast in the city about a half an hour from where I live where uh, the discussion, the last one I attended, involved a few lawyers, uh, I think one of them, in fact, from Brian Cave, who talked about just what you were discussing. And another boy, law firm employee said, well, wait a minute, you know, we, we're thinking of doing that too. And they got a real discussion going together <laughs> after the, the breakfast ended and they could sort of break off into a little group. So yeah, I think that that's going to, that's going to help. And frankly, you, you know, the AMLAW, 25, the top 25 law firms in the country, you know, they're going to go and do whatever they want to do because they have the, the uh, leverage in the market to do that. But I think, you know, well shy of that, uh, or not so well shy of that, I should say, others are going to, uh, other law firms are beginning to feel some client pressure and uh, there are clients who are interested in innovation they whether they talk to other firms that have their own uh, sister company startups or just realize that it's the future uh, the future is now I hope I'm not being a Pollyanna when I say that and 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 lastly on the on the subject of law firms dealing with startups I have been working on a uh, presentation that deals just with that that I was going to give for a London conference that uh, because of present conditions has been uh, canceled, but it was devoted to just that topic, buying legal tech from startups the right way. And there are ways that law firms can, there are steps they can take to grow more comfortable with startups. You know, you had talked about how there seems to be um, more comfort, I guess, t discussing um, discussing possible partnerships with with legal startup vendors. And, you know, I think part of that is, is also because there just seems to be so many more than they used to be. And they're covering areas where some of the more traditional solutions are not, are not filling that void. But, but at the same time, you know, we in legal organizations, we're still, you know, we know how things worked with those, you know, traditional providers. But 
we're often not really informed regarding what it takes to get a startup off the ground and and that different mentality. It, it, the investment process and marketing, pricing, um, the revenue and process, among you know other things, it, it seems to be a totally different world, I think, than than what you know some of us in, in big law experience. So what do we need to know? kind of coming into these conversations to be more knowledgeable and, and empathetic? Well, uh, akin to what I was saying a, f- a few minutes ago, I think that uh, there are ample resources that uh, law firms can consult to find out more about startups. I'll, I'll go back to that. But I think, too, law firms and the lawyers therein uh, regard failure as a, a really ugly F word. Mm-hmm. If you will, and and I can understand that having practiced for as long as I did, um, you know, we lawyers have a body of professional expertise, and we're supposed to know it cold within our areas of expertise, and not knowing it, omitting something that shouldn't have been omitted, that sort of failure I can understand is something that no law firm or lawyer is happy with. But the approach that startups take is well, they they don't welcome failure certainly, but. It's really a matter of, you know, trying things out, iterating, as it's called, the, the lingo, and sort of in experiencing many failures, consulting with uh, customers and in, internally consulting, and then making changes. So they're in a process of cycling through small changes, tweaking things, knowing at the outset that uh, they're not going to get something entirely right software-wise or user experience-wise but that they will devote themselves maniacally uh, often to getting it right in in several very quick cycles. So that is something that if I could sit down with lawyers and elaborate on, I'd I'd want to do that. I'd want them to know that in dealing with startups and brand new products to the market, there is inevitably a, a, a testing and an iteration Not that a startup should go to market with something that's just a piece of garbage. And I'm not sure where I come on the view that you can go out with a so-called minimum, minimal viable product and and go from there. It should have some polish. You're dealing with lawyers. They're busy. They don't want to have you keep changing the ground from under their feet. But it's that appreciation for iteration and and constant and continual improvement that I, I hope lawyers can come to understand when they deal with startups and their products. So my new phrase, Charlie, is every decision is a risk decision. Good. So given I, like, I still give, like that phrase. <laughs> <laughs> so given that, and, and you touched on this a little earlier, you know, what are the risks and rewards of legal organizations working with startup vendors? And does it make sense to mix and match startups and more traditional vendors? Um, from from and I'm, I'm looking at this from from a content or workflow perspective, mm-hmm. you know, but also a cost perspective. Well, the, let's let's take the benefits and the and the drawbacks. Uh, the benefits uh, first, you're you're dealing uh, with companies that uh, uh, are more likely than uh, more traditional tech uh, companies, uh, the larger kinds. I have every have a great deal of respects for the, respect for the Thomson Reuters and 
and the uh, LexisNexis and Westlaw types. They do great work. But in dealing with a startup, a law firm is going to often find it has a shot at really working with cutting-edge technology and learning cutting-edge workflows. Now, they have to be open to seeing the possibilities of competitive advantage in seeing the new cutting-edge technology and, and adopting or at least trying out cutting-edge workflows that may not align with what they're doing now but could make the practice in whatever area the startup's application works a whole lot better. You're also dealing with organizations that are eager. Uh, they're going to be more flexible in negotiating terms. Uh, they're going to be more quickly moving, going to be willing to uh, try new things at your uh, suggestion more readily, perhaps in a, a much bigger company where the ship is harder uh, to turn. And, um, you know, they're going to be nimble and, and fast to adapt. And, and uh, I think those are very worthwhile advantages to, uh, to dealing with startups. The drawbacks, the risks, well, the biggest one, of course, is will the startup be there in six months, 12 yeah. months? Uh, <laughs> you know, the other sort of uh, correlated risk with the first one I mentioned is do they have the financial and personnel firepower? to do what it takes to provide you with the software updates, the meet the feature requests, support, training, encryption, and privacy aspects that you need. So, yes, there are, there are those drawbacks. Uh, what I am trying to figure out is how to maximize the benefits and minimize the drawbacks so that net-net it's worth dealing with the, the startup. And I happen to think not all are going to meet the criteria, but many can meet the criteria where it's worth a try. And I think this probably goes on with, especially with the with the health situation uh, that's going on in the world right now. I'm seeing a lot of the, uh, and I've, you've heard the phrase, "never let an emergency go to waste." Exactly. And so, when it comes to dealing with startups, or actually dealing with with anyone, and having that risk that Marlene talked about, and especially with failure. If I'm the person that's going to bring in the startup to the the firm or to the organization I'm working with. To solve the problem. To solve a problem. And let's say it does fail. How do I spin that and make a success out of it? How do, we, how do you tell people or how have people talked about this on the, on that, on the network about dealing with, with the failures? Is there any stories that you have? Well, I think uh, laying the groundwork at the outset, if you happen to be appointed as a champion for a particular startup or as a uh, person who is just going to be the, the point person with the startup, I would make it uh, try my best to make it clear to firm management and to the potential users that at the outset there are risks. But I think uh, the, the best thing you can do is, is let that be known from the outset. And what I would counsel is, uh, and it's certainly not original to me and kind of obvious when you think about it, when you're using uh, a startup's piece of software that is new to the market, start with low stakes uh, use. Yeah. Don't, yeah. don't adopt it uh, and intend to have the most bet the company matter handled by that software. Don't let the most senior people in your firm whose time is more valuable work on it. Uh, do it in stages and work from the bottom up with more junior lawyers, allied professionals, and, and low stakes matters. So you can kick the tires on something where a failure were to occur. 
through no fault of the firms, then the, the risks, uh, the consequences of, of uh, a risk turning out to have been a, a bad one are, are much less. And then work your way up so that when you finally get to use it on more serious consequential matters, you're, you're more confident that the people behind the software can live up to your expectations and the software actually works. And be prepared at the outset. I mean, I can understand a firm saying, I want a discount because I'm an early adopter and, and I want a period of time to use it for free to get to know it, sure. But when it comes time, if you like what you see, uh, and somewhat counterintuitively, for the firm's benefit, obviously for the startups, pay a market price for the uh, for the software. Don't uh, you, you thereby provide sources of funds to the startup, and you incentivize your users to actually use it, learn from it, and give feedback. Because if they know you're paying from it for it, I should say they're they're actually, I would think, human nature being what is uh, what it is, more likely to use it. Hey, Charlie, I think that advice was worth the price of admission right there. Me too. Me too. (laughs) That was great. I think so often we, we have discussions with, you know, with vendors where it's like, this is the the next greatest thing that's going to just sort of revolutionize the way, you know, you handle a, a regular process. But, you know, oftentimes it doesn't do that for various reasons or, or it just it's good at sort of one small part. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think what you've mentioned is actually um, very useful to keep in mind. <laughs> and I, and I, I would add to, to address a point that you uh, had, had mentioned earlier, Marlene, and that is, you know, what about the smaller uh, startups that have more point-like solutions than, than broader solutions? I'm going to go out on a limb here and and say, and I don't mean this at, as at all as a disparagement of any of the startups who are part of the community, but I think you're going to find some sort of consolidation, not only because there are a lot of companies attempting to do the same thing that happens in any market, but I think here with law firms being as slow in, in the up as far as actually licensing software and wanting to have a solution that doesn't solve just one thing. You know, I, I, I wouldn't offer a solution to a law firm that says, if you want to sign a document in blue ink and blue ink only, mine is the, uh, the application you want to use. I think you want to have more heft. I think I'm talking to the startups now. I think you want to try to do business development deals with allied startups I, I think that uh, you want to quickly figure out as quickly as you can whether making it on your own rather than combining in some fashion, if it's an opportunity available, it's worthwhile. Because, uh, you know, unlike Salesforce, for example, which is gobbling up more and more of its uh, customer relationship management market and add bolting on other things, law firms don't have a, a real big platform, even by department. Uh, that they can latch onto and know that they can reliably get much of what they want in doing a deal or handling a litigation uh, or doing an investigation. If I were an investor and I'm not, you know, I would I would be looking for the the larger plays among the startups. But again, uh, I think startups can still be nimble, flexible, and cutting edge, even as they combine in some fashion to to gain heft, staying power. And, uh, and a broader uh, array of features to offer. You had a short post on Medium where you asked the question, and this was in relation to where law school should focus. So I'm going to 
I'm going to make the assumption that there are kind of two two camps of attorneys uh, out there. And, and the question was, which do you believe, the debunker, where law is part of a society's plumbing and lawyers should be trained as ethical business people, or the traditionalists that law is an intellectual study. Lawyers should be taught jurisprudence, sociology, and economic analysis. So in terms of, of an, entrepreneur, an entrepreneur coming in and you have these two camps and you're going to have to be you know, communicating, what should they be thinking and how should they be addressing this you know, when they're trying to, to break into this this legal startup field? Well, they, they the uh, uh, nascent startup founders, uh, I think are best advised in, in approaching law firms as businesses. Uh, they're there to make a profit and, and they have to practice law. They have to know doctrine. They have to be really good at the uh, substantive uh, knowledge aspects of their uh, profession. Uh, and law schools have to continue to teach that. Uh, I don't know whether it should be taught for as long as it's taught in, in the three years worth of study, but startup founders should appeal to the, the business side of the law firm and their uh, application is not going to, uh, unless it's some sort of magical AI that can carry out a negotiation or, or analyze uh, a whole set of, uh, documents to come up with a, uh, a brand new way of structuring a deal, that they should sell their wares as something that will enable the business part of the law to succeed, to make money, uh, whether it's more efficiency, whether it's fewer mistakes, you know, whether it is making life better for the practicing lawyers and thus making the lawyers more loyal to the firm and not uh, fleeing the law or jumping ship to another firm and all the costs in, entailed with that. As far as law schools go, I'm a, I'm a quasi-debunker. And by quasi-debunker, I mean, look, uh, I think we should, this is my own personal thing, I, I think we should all grow up a little. Uh, I don't know that judges have to wear robes to be judges, and I don't know that lawyers have to use heretofore and whereof all the time in order to feel like lawyers. But I do think uh, most emphatically, that law is special in one very uh, important way. And that is, the law is a powerful weapon <laughs> when used badly. People's lives, financially uh, and otherwise, can be at stake. So I, I am a great believer in re-regulation, in regulating law firms uh, a whole lot differently from the way they are regulated now to encourage more uh, access to justice and, frankly, competition. But I don't think lawyers should be excused from the duty to be officers of the court, to offer pro bono work, to uh, be held to a standard that recognizes that the law is part of society. We, we are not making, we are not fixing sinks. And no one wants their sink fixed badly. But the, the, the most often, the results of a poorly fixed sink is not someone uh, getting uh, going to jail in, in, improperly or being poorly represented in a, uh, a real estate transaction where they're buying a house. So the awful force of the law should only be brought to bear when people have adequate representation and lawyers should be held 
to account in providing that reputation and regulating even better than they are now, frankly, in, in adhering to ethical standards. That should not go away. Yep. I always remember it's a profession and a business. That's right. <laughs> and you have to, you can't just focus on one or the other. It's, it's a combination. So, well, Charlie, I'm going to, I want to wrap this up sure. in, a, in a way that has you kind of both looking forward and, and backward because you've done, a lot. Uh, I mean, uh, over the years practicing and then uh, in, into the legal technology and now with LTSF. What have you seen over the past few years that you think has been one of the most impactful changes in the industry? And then, then f- let's flip that. And what do you what do you see are some changes uh, that are that are still yet to come to fruition yet. And if you have any uh, tips as far as investments yeah, please. With, the, with the stock market like it is right now, <laughs> you know, hey, hey, feel free to throw those out. Sure, sure. I wish I, I, wish I uh, knew uh, answers to the last mentioned question. As far as uh, what I see happening now, uh, my podcast listeners have heard it ad nauseum, ad nauseum but I'll, I'll say it again here. By my lights, legal tech is a 25-year overnight success. And uh, we uh, hearing now uh, in the legal tech world and in the legal world, talk about legal tech and innovation, uh, innovation being important because you're changing, you're innovating the way in which you carry out your uh, work processes you, you use to practice law. Uh, those are innovations. You're innovating by bringing people in who are allied professionals. We're finally hearing a lot of the talk being spoken by people whose decisions really matter. Now, whether it's just talk or not uh, is still to be determined. But as recently, I'd say, as 10 years ago, and maybe even more recently, the talk was not at all as widespread. So it's in the air. And the fact that it's in the air and it's being talked about legal technology, the role it can play, the importance it can have on a firm's bottom line, and the happiness with which lawyers, the satisfaction with which lawyers practice law, uh, is is much more the subject of discussion than ever before. And that is a positive for legal tech startups and I think uh, for lawyers. Uh, so, you know, I'm encouraged by that. And that is a, a sea change. The next step is to to uh, to make it an actual behavioral matter rather than just talk. And that may take, looking far ahead, that may take a generational change. Uh, the law students and the young lawyers who are practicing now are still going like, to want to make money. They're still going to want to take pride in being lawyers and, and practicing their profession. But I will say that in 10 years, and I'm pretty confident of that, the, the younger lawyers, we're not only more comfortable, and yes, they are with technology, they're going to be much more comfortable, I think, in adopting uh, that technology in the practice. The other thing that's going to change, if certain states uh, do what I think they're going to do and hope they're going to do, is the way in which, adverting to what I mentioned earlier, the way in which lawyers practice and how they're regulated, that will change. Once that changes, hopefully without uh, lessening the ethical standards that lawyers have to adhere to, you'll have new ownership structures, you'll have uh, people being able to do a legal related work without having a law degree, and that will encourage technology use and and also make law uh, more accessible to to more people. 
So I'm, I'm counting on that. <laughs> okay, folks, you've heard it here. <laughs> Charlie, we may have to invite you back in a few years to yeah. see where we're at, right? I, I would love that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. My, yeah, thanks, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, Marlene, I liked how Charlie just laid the whole process of how law firms should work with, with startups. I know to him, it came, you know, he was saying, well, you've probably heard this before. This is a common sense approach. But quite frankly, I I think what he was laying out there is something that most of us hadn't even thought about um, because we're not engaged day in and day out with legal tech startups. Doing that, that whole process of making sure you're working on small projects rather than bet the firm projects. You're not obligating your most heavily used attorneys to work on these projects, but rather using others. Paying retail rates for startups so that they can continue. So, I mean, there's just a number of things in there that he said that were very insightful to me and how you deal with uh, legal startups. Yeah, um, I I agree with you completely. And uh, I also appreciated the reminder about fear of failure and how that has to be addressed uh, at the the, the law firm side of things because, and and I'll tie it back to what you said about in the inspirations about, you know, PricewaterhouseCooper and and also with what's what's happening now with with COVID-19 that we're in this landscape that, you know, we don't really know what the right thing to do is. Yeah. And so we are all trying out different things and, 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 you know, in a sense, taking these risks to see if these things will, will work and, and, and be fruitful. And I'm hoping that this experience is as bad as it is, is, is something that we can apply in the future when we're looking, you know, at some of these these tools and resources that can really help us change the way we practice. Yeah. And like you say, all decisions are risk decisions. All decisions are risk decisions. <laughs> well, thanks again to Charlie for uh, joining us today. It was nice to have a, you know, a normal chat on legal technology, innovations and startups and, and kind of veer away from the, uh, the, the, the most prevalent topic of, of the day. Before we go, we want to remind listeners to take the time to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Rate and review us as well. If you have comments about today's show or suggestions for a future show, you can reach us on Twitter at at GayBauerM or at Glambert, or you can call the Geek and Review hotline at 713-487-7270, or email us at geekandreviewpodcast at gmail.com. And I will add one thing, please reach out to us or anybody else. If you're there by yourself in your house and you just not want someone to talk to about (laughs) what's going on, it's like, we're all here to listen. And believe me, we all want to talk about it. Yes, we do. So please do. And as always, the music you hear is from Jerry David DeSicca. Thank you very much, Jerry. Yeah, thanks, Jerry. All right, Marlene, stay safe. I'll talk to you later. All right, stay healthy. Bye. Bye.